everybody. This is episode number one of the Ikigai Stories podcast. Our first guest is Rich Sasaki of Ikakua. Uh, if you're scratching your head and wondering why this is called episode number one and on the lineup is actually episode number five, I will point you to the introduction episode where I shed some light on a series of personal and professional epiphanies that led me to focus my uh, time and energy on empowering people to discover and live their ikigai. So initially, the podcast was called the Rational Right Brain Podcast. I did three interviews under that banner. Rich's uh, interview is the first interview under the Ikigai Stories banner, which will continue into the future. Uh, there couldn't be a better guest for our maiden voyage on the Ikigai Stories than Rich. Um, Kakua in Hawaiian means to give, and Rich has a family history, a family lineage to Hawaii. He also has um, spent time, he's lived in Hawaii, so he has a personal experience in Hawaii, uh, and in, served as an inflection point in his life. Uh, the Ikakua is a technology platform that in a sense is similar to Craigslist, uh, so it's a classified ads technology platform, but with a twist. So all of the proceeds from the sale go to a nonprofit identified by the seller. Uh, so it's an incredible offering, an incredible platform that is doing a lot of good for a lot of people in a lot of ways. Um, Rich talks about his professional journey and working at uh, some of the heavyweights here in Seattle. So he worked at Microsoft, Starbucks, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. He also talks about his personal journey from growing up on a on a family farm, a lettuce farm in small town Ording, Washington, with the population of two thousand, to going to the University of Washington, to moving to Hawaii with six hundred dollars in his pocket and spending the first three hundred on a moped, uh, to becoming a husband and a father of two. Uh, he shed some light on a, a an even deeper personal level. Uh, when his first child was born, when his daughter was born, she was born with a hearing deficiency. And the intersection of his daughter being born with a hearing deficiency and working at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the largest nonprofit in the world, uh, served as a catalyst and an inspiration uh, in launching iKakua. Uh, he also talks about a family history, uh, personal story, um, so the Sasaki farms have been around since 1929, and when World War II broke out, the Sasaki family was sent to an internment camp, like many Japanese Americans were at that time on the West Coast. Uh, and his father actually spent his first birthday in an internment camp. Uh, when the family was released from that internment camp, I believe after the war had ended years later, they went back to the farm and a neighboring farm, uh, a family, had been uh, upkeep, uh, keeping the, the, the family, the Sasaki farm going and gave that farm back to the Sasakis. And it continues, that Sasaki family farm continues on until this day. Uh, so it's an amazing story as well. Uh, Rich mentions that his biggest challenge is getting nonprofits to sign up. So if you are working at a nonprofit, if you have a friend or a family member that's at a nonprofit, please, please, please 
go to ikakua.com, and that's spelled I-K-O-K-U-A.com, and register the nonprofit for iKakua. It's a simple process. It takes, I believe, two minutes or less. Um, so please register for iKakua. And uh, please enjoy this first episode with Rich Sasaki from iKakua. And uh, we'll look forward to future conversations with you on the Ikigai Stories podcast. Rich, can you tell us about uh, iKakua? iKakua. Well, um, in a nutshell, it's basically like a Craigslist type of um, classified ad site. But when you buy and sell things, the money goes directly to a nonprofit. And so it kind of takes the middleman out. And when you would... Um, normally when you sell things, some people would have, you know, like really good, um, intentions of what they want to do with the money. So instead of wanting to buy beer with the money, they would give that money to, you know, Woodland Park Zoo or Seattle Children's or a nonprofit where they can have an impact on what they can do with the funds. Um, and so one day I was, you know, spring cleaning, clean out the basement and I had this pile of stuff I was going to sell on Craigslist and then some other stuff I was thinking like a gift to Goodwill or whatever. And then I was like, well, I wonder if there's a site out there that where you can sell this and it goes to a nonprofit. And there wasn't much out there in, in directly of what I wanted to do with the money. I wanted to just, I'm kind of lazy and that's where a lot of these ideas come from. <laughs> and so how do I just sell something and not have to get the money and go to the bank, cash a check or whatever, and then go to look up the website for a nonprofit that I want to give money to and, um, you know, donate the money that way. Um, and so I started playing around with a couple concepts. I wrote up uh, a quick, um, you know, a beta to see how I can get this working. And then I showed it to a couple of friends who helped me develop it. And then we launched uh, iKukua. Yeah. And when, when was that launched? Uh, it launched in 2015. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, Kakua, can you p paint some picture on a Kakua, what that means, and the background on why you named the platform? Yeah, sure. I Kakua. So we wanted to, we wanted to, and I keep saying we, but really, <laughs> there's only me at this point. So I wanted to come up with a term that was, uh, you know, short enough, catchy, but had some meaning behind it. Hmm. And part of my heritage is is Hawaiian. Uh, so we're native Hawaiian and we wanted to, um, I wanted to have a name that meant something meaningful and kokua in Hawaiian means to give or to help. And so I wanted to maybe figure out how we can make that a, you know, like become our brand. Yeah. And so, um, started playing around with different names. Kokua was taken. So I was thinking, well, it's kind of catchy to put an I in front of it. It could be. And it could be, it could be, the meaning around it could be like I give or I help, mm -hmm. um, or it could be just you know like how you would throw an I in front of you know like iPhone or I, you know, can't think of another one right now, but <laughs> iPad, um, iPad, yeah, iPod, iPod for yeah. the old, yeah, and there's probably some non-Apple products out there with an yeah. I in front of it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it. But the meaning around it, just something about giving and helping people. Mm. Um, was uh, So was Kakula a word that you were familiar with before iKakula? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I lived in Hawaii for seven years. 
Um, our, we still have family in Hawaii, and I finished up school out there. And Kukua was everywhere. So anywhere there was somebody that needed help, whether it's the environment or people or um, just asking for help. Like, you know, if you're in a, meet a meeting, if you're in a meeting and you wanted some people to help you organize a project or something, you'd say, please, Kukua. And so Kukua is kind of used everywhere as please help. Um, but I wanted to kind of take that to the masses and like, you know, so in a lot of the definitions on the website, it'll say like Kukua means to help or to give, you know, and this is how, you know, we plan to do it through selling, basically selling goods um, and having that money go directly to a nonprofit. Yeah. So. So how does the, um, what does the process look like? So if I, so if I, if I'm going through my storage or my garage and I find <clears> some <throat> stuff, what is that? Can you just walk us through what that yeah. process looks like? So there's three, um, three aspects of it. There's a buyer, there's a seller, and then there's a nonprofit. So as a seller, you'd be going through your, um, through your storage. And I wasn't paying attention, but Marie Kondo, she wrote mm -hmm. the, um, I forgot what the name of the Tidy. Tight, the Art of Tidying Up or yeah. the Art of, um, but basically she just launched her uh, show on Netflix. Right. Yeah. And apparently all the Goodwills and Salvation Army are going crazy with all these, you know, extra oh, yeah. things from their storage. Yeah. But it would have been a good one to get ahead of. Yeah. Um, but as a seller, you'd go through, find some nice shirts, you know, like we had... Um, children re recently and so we have and they're growing up now so we have all these cribs and strollers and things that you know they're in great working order and you can probably sell them on Craigslist or eBay or something for 50 to 100 dollars but mm. we have them now on Ikakua and when you sell those so you take a picture everything's just like how you would put it on a classified ad and at the very bottom you would choose a nonprofit that you'd like to give to um, and so when you, yeah, you just pick a price, pick a nonprofit, and then, and then you wait, you know, hopefully you'd send, send the ad out to a few friends and a few, you know, post it on Facebook or whatever social media, Hey, I'm selling some things. Yeah. The money's going to go to a really good cause, something I believe in, something that, that I chose and it's not chosen for me. And, um, yeah. So do most sellers submit or what does the process look like if I have a nonprofit that's important to me do I can I submit the nonprofit to Ikukua if they're not already on Ikukua or what does that process look or does that exist yeah that so adding exist? nonprofits uh, it's a little bit harder because we have to get you know we have to meet with the nonprofit get their approval um, get a few things signed and then we can list their their name mm -hmm. um, and so if you don't see one, you can, there's a, there's a button that says contact, you know, I could call a request a nonprofit yeah. and you re, you can request the nonprofit that you'd want to have listed. And then we would go out and do the, the, the work behind the scenes and try to get them on. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, so what, uh, what, uh, how many nonprofits are currently on the platform and what's the vision for is it um, well so let's start there what's the vision for bringing on nonprofits is it 
user-driven or do you have a vision for what nonprofits you want to bring onto the platform? Yeah. So we have about eight right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and we started with some of the nonprofits that we're really involved with. Uh, so my daughter was born hard of hearing. And so she goes to this school called Listen and Talk. And they were our first nonprofit that we signed up. Um, so it had a lot of meaning behind why we wanted to start with them. Um, but there was a lot of... Um, so the, the next vision for uh, getting more of them signed up would be to, to build trust within the nonprofit community. And um, how do I phrase this? So when we first started meeting with nonprofits, it felt like, you know, because there's a lot of scammers out there, mm-hmm. right? And so when we first started meeting with them and, and said, hey, I have this website that if you sign up for, people are going to sell things and you're just going to get all the benefits. And so most most of the nonprofits are like, oh, what is this magical thing that you created? And so it was it was tough to, to build that trust. <clears throat> and so, um, and, we're, and we're still running into that that issue right now so it's it's always uh, it's always been a challenge to to get that but <clears throat> excuse me as we've been gaining more trust within the community like I'll have a nonprofit that signs up and then they'll call some of their friends in the nonprofit world and say you know hey we just signed up here you know we're trying to get our community to sell things and get that money to flow through Ikakua to our nonprofit you know, you should look at doing the same, you yeah. know. Yeah. Um, yeah, because fundraising for nonprofits is the biggest challenge. It's a huge typically, challenge, right? yeah. 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 And it's usually the the people behind it. There's never enough people to help raise the money. So, right. So if you're having a big auction, getting volunteers to help with that. And um, so some of the design behind Ikakua was to have them do almost nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, except doing what they're already doing is validating uh, donations. So if there's a nonprofit out there that's listening and they would want to get engaged, what's that process look like? So right now they would need a just a PayPal account and an agreement um, that says, hey, we want to be on your website. Um, and other than that, there's no other exchange of Social Security or everything, um, you know, we'll, we'll verify your tax ID, mm-hmm. um, do some due diligence around that. But uh, there's nothing, there's no money coming out of the nonprofit. So to sign up, it's free. Um, and to be listed, you don't have to do anything, but maybe answer a few questions, mm-hmm. you know, if and verify. So right now, uh, the last time I looked, it was $75. So anything under $75, you don't have to send a gift receipt. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of on your honor to write your own. But you'll still have the um, confirmation emails from Ikakua that said, you know, so-and-so sold this bicycle for $100 and the money went to this nonprofit. So you'll have something in your hand and we'll have, if you need something from Ikakua, we can send out like, your list of people to call. Mm-hmm. So you sold these five items this year for $400, and it went to these four nonprofits or this one nonprofit. Um, please contact the nonprofit if it's over $75. Oh, 
Oh, gotcha. And then yeah. the nonprofit would issue the tax yeah. Yeah. thing. Which they should already. So yeah. you, most nonprofits use software that triggers like, hey, it's over $75 or yeah. whatever this mark is, please send a thank you and a tax receipt to this person. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So. Okay. Um, so, so let's talk about uh, so your path to to launching Ikakua. So you've worked at some heavyweights here in Seattle. So you've worked at, I think this is right, yeah. Microsoft, Starbucks, and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. That's correct. Is that right? yeah. Were yeah. there others, or did I miss any? Uh, my first job out of college was I was the mail room guy. Oh, nice. Yeah, nice. at uh, Alaska Airlines. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, so another, another heavyweight. Another heavyweight. Yeah. But you know, uh, I was at Chris Rock in Boomerang. <laughs> that was me. <laughs> Boomerang. That's, a, that's an that's, old one. Yeah. I, Boomerang. Is that Eddie, right there. Eddie my, Murphy? Uh, yeah. My uh, grandpa <laughs> used to tell me about that movie. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. That's uh, yeah. Boomerang. What was that? 88, 90? <laughs> yeah, that's back. That's going back. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. It's a good one. It's a classic. Yeah. So, heavyweights, Seattle heavyweights. Just can you talk about your, your experience? Uh, like what you, pre Ikakua, what you were doing and how that kind of shaped you toward launching Ikakua? Yeah. So, I've always been in technology. You know, I've enjoyed fiddling around with computers as a kid. Uh, went to school, graduated in computer science. Um, and then when I moved back here from Hawaii, um, I started at Microsoft, uh, started doing um, system engineering. And so I was, you know, doing a lot of online operations type of work. Uh, then got into database work um, and kind of evolved from there. Um, you know, once, you, once you're doing databases, you're touching just about everything because everything needs data. And so you're working with the front ends, the back ends, you know, different projects, figuring out what kind of data people need, how to present the data, things like that. So pretty, uh, pretty lively stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, so things, yeah, it's, it's always been hard to explain to my mom what I do. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah. I feel I'm I'm aware of that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yes. What is it that you do again? Um, computer stuff. Can you <laughs> fix my computer? <laughs> my AOL is acting up. So, yes. So it's been technology the whole way. Technology the whole way. The. <clears throat> so can you talk about the move from uh, profit to nonprofit? Like, what did that? How did that? Why, why that move? How did that shape you? Or, or did that influence the launch of iKakua? Or can you just talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so there's definitely, the, working in the nonprofit world definitely was a, an influence just to see how the nonprofits benefit from people that donate or volunteer or help out. Uh, and it's pretty powerful. So when I was working at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, um, we would have the Day of Caring where you know you sign up, you pick uh, a nonprofit that you want to physically volunteer at, and so you're working with the Audubon Society and you know creating, you know helping them spread wood chips to to create an atmosphere to attract bugs, which attracts birds, which attracts mm -hmm. you know um, 
whatever whatever goes after yeah, birds. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, birds, uh, snakes. Uh, no. Um, and so, so we got to do a lot, you know, trimming, pulling blackberry bushes around uh, Seward Park and things yeah. like that. And, yeah. You know, just area farms, you know, the, the urban farms, helping getting those tidy for the, so the community can use those. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just kind of, you know, you kind of see what that little bit of help can do for somebody or what that, you know, $100 can actually do. Um, so, yeah, a couple of... You know, so I was working there, uh, you know, with my daughter being hard of hearing and just volunteering at the school, going to their big auction, seeing what that money can actually do and seeing the successes of what these kids have, you know, um, end up after going through something like that. Yeah. So, you know, you'd have kids who are completely deaf, <clears throat> but they but they're singing or they're dancing. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this. One of the one of the girls there was in the you know Pacific Northwest Ballet, and she did the Nutcracker, and now she was dancing on the UW uh, University of Washington's dance team. Mm. Um, she's completely deaf without her cochlear implant, yeah. but the technology behind it allows her to hear. And if you just if she ever was doing a podcast, you wouldn't know that she was deaf at all. Wow. I mean, you she just sounds probably better than. <laughs> than most of us and how they speak yeah because she's worked so hard at it but it was from the technology and the training and the you know the funding behind listen and talk so your listen and talk is the name of the nonprofit. listen and talk yes okay and so you were at the gates foundation when your daughter was born yes okay yeah and so it was kind of the confluence of those two yeah working there and then having your daughter Mm -hmm. the birth Mm -hmm. of your daughter yeah, so about five years um, at the foundation, you know, I started, you know, when, when I was cleaning out the storage unit, mm-hmm. um, is when I started putting the pieces together, you know, using some of my database knowledge and front-end knowledge and knowing a couple of programmers and developers to help me piece this thing together. Yeah. Uh, and then we, we were able to get out a prototype um, just to see if it worked. We each put an item on there and... You know, we bought each other's items, and it went to, you know, Listen and Talk uh, agreed to be the guinea pig. Mm-hmm. And so I worked with the finance director there to make sure the money is flowing and the right, uh, the right wording. So yeah. it's, um, it's, it's, when you start doing tax returns, tax receipts, uh, there's a lot of follow the money. Mm-hmm. Um, so if the money is coming from the wrong place, the tax receipt is not valid because... It doesn't look like um, it doesn't look like you donate into it. Um, so we have a couple workarounds within the process that we got approved um, by a few accountants that said, okay, yeah, this is the this is the way the process needs to work for the person to give um, the right donation. Mm-hmm. So like if you were to sell a bike and I bought it for a hundred dollars, the money is coming from me, right? So the tax receipt would look like it needs to go to me oh. versus you, but you're the one donating the bike, even though the money is coming from me. And so that's that's some of the um, some of the ways we worked around it yeah. by timing the technology right. So there's a pause in there where it looks like you donated the bike. Gotcha. And you actually did on paper. Yeah. Or when you slow things down, but um, that was one of the big challenges we had to face. Is 
working through that process and making sure the process was getting the right tax receipts and the right money and the you know yep. getting the flow together. Yep. What what's the biggest challenge that you're facing with Ikakua currently? Yeah, I think the biggest challenge would be to uh, sign, signing up nonprofits. Mm-hmm. So, like I kind of mentioned earlier, when they when I first pitched them this idea, they think it's a scam or what's wrong with it. Um, because it's everything's free to the nonprofit. Yeah. You know, we we understand how busy nonprofits are, and we didn't want to add to that by saying, "Hey, you need to, you know, approve all the things going up, or you need to, you know, look at it every day and hire somebody else to monitor your Ikakua uh, donations." Uh, we wanted to just fit seamlessly with into their, you know, their own process. Right. And so, so it's been a challenge. Uh, getting them signed up yeah um so we're working we're you know one of our next steps is try to work with like a bigger there's a few companies that not oversee but they be, belong to um what's the word not a coalition but like a association platform oh so, so like yeah. a nonprofit yeah. association would um would be able to say hey we we approve everybody who's in our association, you know, mm-hmm. we're pre-approved by this association. So, um, like we could third, sign third party, like validation. a third party validation yeah. where we could just automate the sign up Yeah, where they just send us an email. Hey, sign us up. We're part of this association. Here's our, all the information you need. Right. And then we're ready to go. Cause it's tough. Like what you're saying, like if you want to sell your old bicycle, but you don't see the nonprofit that you really want to give to yeah um and so then then you go the old route where you just sell it and donate it or donate directly right without generating some and so follow-up question would be if i'm a nonprofit, how much time would it does it take me to get signed up like on average if 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 i'm listening and i say i want to sign up am i taking a couple hours days is it turnkey? Simple? If I'm in front of my computer, it should take about 30 seconds. Okay. Yeah. All right. So it's really quick. I mean, I just I just add your information to the to the list, and then when you when you're selling a bicycle, it drops down. It says new nonprofit. Yeah. And it should be that easy. Okay. All right. So, uh, so you mentioned Hawaii earlier. I, so we we met here at Atlas. We're recording this at Atlas. Um, and so the irony of this podcast being called Ikigai Stories with a guy whose last name is Sasaki and a last guy (laughs) and a last name Yushio. Um, but the connection I think that we had initially has very little to do. Well, it has a little bit to do with the, our Japanese background, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was more. So you grew up in a small. So can you can you share where you grew up? Yeah, I grew up in a small town called Ording, mm-hmm. which is fifty miles south of <laughs> fifty miles south of Seattle. But so it's right between Mount Rainier and Seattle. So a lot of times people have heard of it because they're going to Mount Rainier for the day and they drive through Ording to stop and get ice cream or something, you know, but yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I grew up there on a farm, 
Um, this farm's been in our family since 1929. Um, my great-grandfather, grandfather, and dad all ran ran the farm. Um, and uh, yeah, so I grew up on a Japanese farm. But the interesting about when I say that is between 19 and 29 and now, um, they were interned in 1941. And so a lot of Japanese farmers lost their farms, right? So after they were interned, this farm was, you know, empty, no abandoned. Um, people would just take it and, you know, and start working it and then, you know, not give it back when, mm-hmm. when, uh, when they're out of the internment camps. Uh, fortunately, we have some really strong communal ties and community ties. Um, and when they got back from um, working the fields in Montana and Idaho, um, we got our farm back and we've been working it ever since. So. Yeah, so most Japanese farmers lost lost everything lost everything does the the family that supported the farm while you were while your family was interned are they still around they're still around yeah yeah. so um and they all we all went to high school together you know there's a there's a thing in Oregon. it's called a 12-year senior Uh where if you've gone you know first grade through 12th grade in Oregon, you're a 12-year senior and so um you know our family their family and a, a few other families we were all part of that 12 senior 12-year senior club. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, and I was the last Sasaki um, for 50 straight years. There was a Sasaki in the Ording School District. Yeah, 50 oh, straight K years. Oh, K through 12. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was someone in, okay. No, we flunked. We all flunked, <laughs> and uh, we were all there for a long time. Um, <clears throat> I was thinking you were saying every every grade. Oh, yeah. But you just been at some point. At for some 50 point, years, for 50 years, there was a Sasaki. Yep, so. Yeah. I have some, you know, younger aunties and uncles. So when they're graduating, you know, we're starting kindergarten. Yeah. And then they graduated and yeah. And yeah. so that ended? The streak ended? It the streak ended, but my uh, my niece and nephew are well, my niece graduated 2 years ago, but my nephew is starting um what is he a sophomore now? He's in high school. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And his so, last name is Sasaki. Sasaki yeah. Okay, so he's, yep. keep, he's keeping he's the keeping tradition it, alive. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what's the population of Ording? Uh, when I was there, it was about 2,000, but okay. it's six or seven now. Okay. So a lot of the farmlands yeah. uh, have been turned into houses. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so when we first met, um, we kind of did that thing like, well, we, so I was, we were, I was looking for some information on technology. We had an mm-hmm. introduction through somebody here at Atlas. And we started talking about the technology stuff. And then after we got them at the technology stuff, we kind of just, <laughs> just gave it a look like Sasaki, yeah. Ushio, Ushio, Jeff. And so then we had that conversation. Yeah. And I naturally assumed, so I, I think I had identified that you were from the Seattle area. And I, with a last name Sasaki, mm-hmm. from the Seattle area, I naturally assume that you grew up very, you know, um, you know, what's the word, uh, with, uh, like, like, Japanese uh, culture mm-hmm. and heritage surrounding you because Japan, or there's a lot of Japanese that live in Seattle, mm-hmm. and so I just made that assumption, and then I 
told you the story about my my first uh, big dinner at a in working in professional dinner and my professional career when and it was at a sushi restaurant and there were like 12 people there and um it's like 22 23 years old and we go to the sushi restaurant i was working in the marketing department for a mutual fund company and we had just hired an ad agency on one side of the table is the ad agency on the other side of the table is um my me the low man on the totem pole and the menus open up and everyone looks at me assuming that I know how to navigate a sushi menu and I'm from small town Nebraska I knew nothing about it and this uh, guy Andy Scheibar I still remember Andy if he's out there shout out to Andy because he <laughs> saved the day he was a Jewish guy from Brooklyn and he said I'll I'll save you and so I remember telling you that story yeah. just to kind of say I you know grew up in small town Nebraska and you told me a story which I'd love for you to retell that story um, about going to, I believe, a Chinese restaurant in the International District. Do you remember this? Oh, yeah. I don't remember details, actually. It's really weird that you know all that. No, but I remember, I remember in small town, right, yeah. you have, like, almond chicken and, and yeah. these crazy Americanized Chinese food. Right. And so... Um, we went to, to dinner in the International District, you know, a bunch of friends late at night, and you're like, oh, let's get Chinese food. It's the only thing open. So we go down there, and I'm like reading through the menu, and I don't understand any of it. I don't know what any of these things are. And I was looking for a sweet and sour pork and almond chicken and some of my, my Panda Express favorites, <laughs> and there was nothing to be found. So I'm like, oh, no, go ahead and order. So it looks like you've been here before. <laughs> um, so... Yeah. And you were how old, roughly? I was in my 20s as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just, you know, my Chinese food was the sea dragon at, in Puyallup, <laughs> you know, right. or, or, you know, Safeway. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I grew up most of probably into my 20s thinking my last name was Sasaki because <laughs> that's what everyone in our town calls. Oh, the Sasaki, Sasaki Farms. Oh, yeah, it's down uh, near the Sasaki's. Yeah. So I, I just thought my name was, you know, Sasaki. <laughs> yeah. And then um, it wasn't until the picture from the Mariners, Kazuhiro Sasaki, came. Mm. And, um, you know, he was doing all these press conferences and, you know, had a really good, you know, rookie season with the Mariners. Um, and, you know, one of my friends called me, like, known this guy forever. And he's like, yeah, I love that new pitcher. He's pretty dominant, you know, but um, they keep it pronouncing his name wrong. And I'm like, they are? What, what, how are they? What are they saying? He goes, they keep calling him Sasaki, but it's Sasaki, and I want to call the radio station and tell him it's Sasaki. And I was like, oh, uh, it's actually Sasaki. <laughs> no. Um, I've been living a lie. I've been living a lie. I'm a, yeah. <laughs> so you made the switch? He made the switch. Did you yeah. make the switch? I made the switch, yeah. When you go back to Ording, do you, or do you uh, no, say it's yeah. Richie Sasaki? Yeah. Good to see Sasaki, you, yeah. Mr. Uh, Johnson. <laughs> Johannesson. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, you know, I don't want to correct people and make them <laughs> feel bad, you know. But, you know yeah. Because we just, you know, I don't know. Just, There's no need to correct people at this point. Just, yeah. Yeah, so I had... I have family on the West Coast, yeah. and, and there was always this 
conflict between how to pronounce, I say Yushio, uh -huh. people on the West Coast say Ushio, and they would always correct, correct us when we'd say Yushio. And I was like, well, that may be the proper way to say it, but this is the way that I say it. Yeah. So I had that identity crisis, but I stick with you. Yeah, I think you need a, a sports hero to come by. I do. And have his name yeah. pronounced, and then yeah. you just jump on the bandwagon. It's true. Mm -hmm. We'll have to check the farm leagues and see who's coming up the yep. ranks. Yep. Um, <clears throat> so growing on a farm, yep. what kind of farm was it? Uh, we grew up on a lettuce farm, but it kind of evolved uh, over the years with the market and demand and things like that. So, um, And as the all the kids left, left the farm, mm -hmm. you know, there goes some extra farm hands. Yeah. And so with labor not being as cheap as it was, uh, we switched over to, <clears throat> or rather my dad switched over to things with less, um, less labor intensive. Yeah. So we switched from lettuce to uh, like pumpkins and corn. Mm -hmm. um, and then we actually, my mom and my dad started a roadside stand, um, which actually got a lot of business. So towards the end, once people started coming to the stand and buying, you know, because we still had some lettuce and some other vegetables. So once we started putting those in the stand, it almost made more money than actually actual farming to, you know, the commercial farms, taking it to the warehouse. Because um, it used to be a pretty big operation. So there was, you know, Albertsons and Fred Meyer and Associated Grocers and, you know, Safeway. So the big warehouses, but um, you know, every every time you transfer it to a warehouse or something, everyone takes their their dollar, right? Yeah. Um, but when you take it to the farm stand, we were able to sell it super cheap. So we would always have a line of customers, um, but it would actually, you know, make more money than taking it to the to the market. Mm. So. so it was a road, just like a roadside. Yeah, one of those tents you buy that with the metal poles and yeah. you weigh it down with a couple bricks. Yeah. And hope it doesn't blow away when it gets windy. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah. Did you work that growing up? No, we didn't you... have it till after I left. Oh, okay. Okay. So yeah. yeah. So you were the you were a farmhand. I was a farmhand. Yeah. What would you do? What were what were summers like? Uh, summers were you know my dad would get the orders from the warehouse and we'd say we need this many boxes of red leaf, green leaf, romaine you know, butter lettuce cut. And then we'd go out there and, you know, with the crew and cut the lettuce. And and by the time I was 16, I remember this, I got my license on my birthday when I turned 16. And that summer I was driving our big trucks into Seattle by myself, delivering this lettuce wow. as, as a 16-year-old. Wow. You know, and, and uh, back then that was pretty normal. But I look at, you know, if I was 16, like, would I let my son turn 16 and then drive, you know, thousands of dollars worth of lettuce in a big <laughs> truck that's, you know, I don't know how many tons it is, but, yeah. you know, a big delivery truck, Yeah. right? Like, hell no. Where, <laughs> like, you know, like, yeah. I wouldn't even trust myself right now. Uh, yeah, that. exactly. So. Where would you take the truck? Uh, to Seattle. Just so, to, like, the distribution Yeah, centers. the distribution centers. Yeah. So um, there's that big one by Boeing, a little bit south of mm -hmm. Boeing. There's yeah. a couple smaller ones. Uh, we used to go to Charlie's Produce. Okay. I think. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah, still yeah. around. I see yeah. their trucks. Yeah. So, yeah, we would drive these in, back them up into the warehouse and yeah. unload it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so back to the the interment. That just reminded me about the interment. So... How, how long did the was the family 
interned, roughly? Do you know? How, how long did the other family support the farm? The whole time. Yeah. And how long so, were they interned? Uh, Two, three years. I'm going to show how ignorant I am, but, you know. A long time. It was the, the, the usual amount. Okay. <laughs> how long was your family interned? No. Uh, yeah, so it was the whole time okay. the war was going yeah. on until yeah. they released them. So it wasn't uh, like a couple months. It was No, it was, it was years. It was, uh, uh, yeah, a few years. And so they had the option. Um, so uh, my dad actually, he was born in 1941. He actually mm-hmm. spent his first birthday in, uh, in the internment camp. And so... Um, it's interesting when we go, because I don't know if you've heard of the Puyallup Fair, but it's the yeah. big, I think it's now the Washington That's, State yeah, Fair. Yeah, they changed it. Yeah, they changed it a few yeah. times. So yeah. um, the Washington State Fairgrounds was actually like a holding facility for the first interns in this area. Oh, wow. So they bust them into the Puyallup Fairgrounds, and they stayed, you know, in the stables, you know, threw some hay down and... Uh, and that's where they stayed until they could bust them to to Idaho or whatever. Yeah. Um, but you know, my grandpa, being a, a farmer, pretty stubborn man, like probably most Japanese grandfathers, mm-hmm. you know, he didn't want to be, you know, in this camp. So there was an option of moving him farther, uh, farther east into Montana, and like, hey, if you want to work the sugar beet fields, you know. Um, you don't have to stay here. We'll move you there. You can work here. We'll put, give you some housing. Um, and so that's what they did. So, um, and then some of them still stayed in, in Idaho. Yeah. But it's interesting though, cause we still have family in Montana. Mm. Um, and the house where they stayed when they were interned or, you know, working the farms in Montana yeah. is still standing. Oh, wow. So my brother was over there and he got to take, take some pictures of it. And, yeah. uh, and it wasn't like, you know, anything you'd want to stay in. Yeah. I mean, there was, you know, you could stick your fingers through the walls, like, and, you know, or see daylight through the walls, you know. In Montana. In Montana. Yeah. I mean, it's basically, um, you know, a couple of support beams and uh, some wood nailed to the side of it. Is It's just a freestanding building now? Freestanding There's building. nothing. Yeah. I think they use it for storage. It's still on okay. somebody's farm out there. Yeah. Um, but that's where they stayed. And, you know, I remember my grandparents always talked about the winter and how cold it was, yeah. but, you know, and when you're small, you think, oh yeah, uphill both ways yeah. and no shoes. But, yeah. you know, after seeing that place, it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty, uh, pretty eye opening. Yeah. yeah. So your grandparents were first generation over because your dad was born in 41 here and dad was born here and my grandfather was also born here oh wow yeah okay yeah okay so um so yeah and so the my farm g- started in 1929 29 yeah yeah okay so i don't know the history before 1929 i don't know if they came earlier and worked and then bought the farm or or what so yeah. i'm not sure of the history so next yeah. time you have me on i'll, I'll be prepared you have that have that locked down historical please. questions yeah okay. I'll, all right i'll get my dna ran and yes. we're gonna figure out this whole yes yeah yeah well because i was reading some family history stuff mm-hmm. and i came across a sasaki somewhere in the family tree so i don't know i believe that was back in japan 
four or five generations ago. So who knows? We could be, yeah, long we lost. Could be long lost brothers don't shake hands. Brothers <laughs> got a hug. Brothers got a hug. <laughs> yeah. Um, so th- can you talk about your time in Hawaii? What what were you doing? So you're there how many years? 13? I was there about seven years. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, so. Living in Hawaii. Yeah. You were going to school in Hawaii. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what was that like? Uh, there's a lot of gray area involved because I was at <laughs> University of Washington for three and a half years and then I was just kind of burned out. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And so um, I was working a few different jobs here and there. And then uh, one of my friends was moving over there and I'm like, oh, I'll go with you. And so, you know, I think I had $300 in my pocket. I know I think I had six because when I got there, I bought a moped for three, which was, yeah, it's good use of money sitting next to two financial guys. Um, So spend all my money on a moped. But um, yeah, and so, um, and this is kind of a a side story, but when I was at University of Washington, I was a cheerleader. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and I, you know, had a blast. I got the opportunity to go to two Rose Bowls and just, you know, had a great time doing it. Um, and then one of my part-time jobs after I left school was coaching gymnastics. So I kind of had the bug still, right? And then when my friend who was moving over there, he got offered a scholarship to University of Hawaii to be a cheerleader. And uh, I was like, wow, they give scholarships to do that? And, uh, and so I moved over there and, you know, um, still trying to keep in shape and stuff. And there's a smaller school, Hawaii Pacific University, that was looking for a few more guys to cheer. Um, and so I tried out like af- a week after I was there. I mean, everything just kind of fell into place. I mean, it was like the law of attraction working right there in, in front of me. And so I tried out and uh, made the squad. And they didn't have any full scholarships, but they still had 80% scholarships. Wow. So I got an 80% scholarship, you know, right off the bat, you know, within a couple of weeks there. And then um, later it turned into a full scholarship. So I was able to finish, uh, get my degree there. Um, yeah, I just had a great time of learning a different culture. Cause like I mentioned before, you know, I, you mentioned uh, half Japanese actually, mm-hmm. and then Chinese, Hawaiian, um, and a few other things spread out along the way. Yeah. But I never had a chance to really explore the Hawaiian side. Yeah. Um, and so, and the Chinese side, because um, my family over there were really in tune with, you know, Chinese culture. You know, my grandma um, would still, you know, do a lot of, uh, a lot of things that really, you know, showed the ways of you know, Chinese culture, mm-hmm. you know, and not just cooking, but, you know, uh, you know, the way they, the way, you know, they would shop in, in the Chinatown district or mm-hmm. the, you know, or funerals, or there's, there's certain things that you do that are traditional. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same with the Hawaiian side, you know, um, my mom actually went to Kamehameha schools. Oh, wow. Um, and so you have to be part Hawaiian or Hawaiian heritage, yeah. <clears throat> excuse me, to go there. Yeah. Um, but just, you know, being able to um, talk to my other cousins and just get a good feel of what it meant to live there and, and be a part of the, the ecosystem there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So your mom was 
Born in Hawaii. Born She's in Hawaii, yeah. In Honolulu? In Honolulu. And Hawaii Pacific is in Honolulu or it's, on Oahu? It's on Oahu, and the campus was kind of spread out. I'm not sure if they still have the Hoiloa campus, but there's this main highway called the Pali Highway. It goes from Honolulu to Kailua. And as soon as you cross over the, the Pali Highway, um, the campus is right there in that mm -hmm. area called Hoiloa. Okay. Uh, beautiful campus, you know. Um, and then there's a downtown one. And I think Hawaii, no, Aloha Tower um, is now renting a lot of space or leasing a lot of space to Hawaii Pacific. Okay. Yeah. But, yeah, so. What was that yeah. experience like going from, well, so you went Ording, Seattle, UW. Mm -hmm. And then over to Hawaii. What was uh what was that experience like? Well, I mean, you're referencing a little bit about this, like, awakening, this, like, seeing this cultural it identity. It was definitely a culture shock yeah. going from each place. Because I grew up, I grew up Caucasian, basically, mm -hmm. in Ording. I moved to Seattle, and I, I can't really describe how it was, but something, I mean, I don't think it was more like understanding that I was... Asian um, versus Caucasian, mm -hmm. but it was a, a little of everything. So it was understanding who I actually was and then being in this environment where I think the, the, the campus was 200 times bigger than my town. Yeah. You know, so just being overwhelmed with the number of people. Um, but when I moved to Hawaii, there's a interesting or like a weird calmness about it. Almost like, uh, do you remember that band Blind Melon? Oh yeah. Do you remember the, the honeybee oh, yeah. one? Yeah. Where she's like looking for all her other honeybees and yeah. then she opens the gates and all her honeybees starts dancing. <laughs> yeah. That's what it felt like when I moved to Hawaii. Yeah. There was all these other honeybees just like me, <laughs> you know? And uh, Which is, how would you define that? Like what what was, What was your honeybee identity? Uh, I don't know. Just the way we made our uh, our wax hives, and no. <laughs> um, the, I was hoping you weren't going to continue on that metaphor. <laughs> I was like, uh oh. <laughs> no, the um, you know, just people that looked like me. Yeah. Um, sounded like me. You know, just yeah. had the same family history, yeah. people you can identify with. And, yeah. and I had a great childhood, don't get me wrong. It wasn't like, you know, I want to abandon, but there was, there was just this more, a sense of understanding about everything, mm -hmm. you know? Oh, you also had to study hard and play a musical instrument and, mm -hmm. and do some things and, yeah. you know, yeah. um, so. And, uh, so why did you leave Hawaii? So you were there for seven years. Mm -hmm. So I spent some, a little bit of time in Hawaii. I think we've talked about mm -hmm. this, but I spent a summer. And then I've got family that live in Hawaii and a, a fondness for Hawaii. And I think about what you're saying right there in the, the summer that I spent there. I was, it was between my sophomore and junior year. So I was 20 years old, fake ID, uh, li and <laughs> loving it. Um, and learning a lot too, I should mention. <laughs> like learning a lot. I was interning at an investment firm. 
Um, but I understand what you're talking about because I went from, you know, small town Nebraska to the University of Nebraska and then went to Honolulu mm-hmm. um, for a summer. And so, so I'm tracking with you as you go. I, yeah, it wasn't yeah. seven years, but I, I remember the people that I interned with, I interned with um, three local Hawaiians. Um, one went to USC, one went to Boston College, one went to a smaller school in uh, somewhere in California. And to me, they represented the three personas that, I, that I've come to uncover in, in meeting a lot of people from Hawaii. So the first person um, who went to Boston College, he had no interest in living in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. You know, he was just like, I'm, I'm never going to come back to Hawaii. Like, I'll come to visit, but I have high aspirations, and just those aspirations don't align mm-hmm. with what I want to accomplish, mm-hmm. like in investment banking or whatever. He's more of an East Coast type of guy, East Coast mentality and Wall Street type of mentality. So that was person one. On the other extreme was this woman who was going to the small town or small community or not a small private school in California. And she was like, I'm going to college over there and then I'm coming back. And mm-hmm. regardless, I'm going to stay in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Um, regardless of what opportunities or jobs open up, I'm going back to Hawaii because that's Ohana and that's mm-hmm. where, I go, right, the, where, I, where, I, where I belong. In the middle was this guy who went to USC and he was conflicted. Like he had those aspirations of the, of the Boston College guy, but he also had this uh, sense of peace and calm and with, with his family in Hawaii. And I haven't seen him for a long time, but he ended up going into the Air Force, so he got to spend some time in Hawaii based out of um, the Air Force base there. I forgot the Hickam? Name. Hickam, or, yeah, yeah, Hickam. Um, but then I, I believe he ended up moving back to L.A. Hmm. Uh, so the point being, y- you, you're the honeybee, and you find all of your other <laughs> honeybees, uh, you spent seven years there. Was there ever a consideration of this, this is my, I want to stay here? This is uh, surrounded by these other honeybees? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of conflict uh, around that time for me because mm. I just graduated with a computer science degree and my hometown's in Washington, which, you know, Microsoft was booming at the time. Yeah. There's a lot of startups going on. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I just, you know, I felt like I was maybe missing the boat a little bit, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I remember having this conversation with my dad, and my dad was like, oh, you know, how come you don't move back? And, you know, there's all these technology opportunities here. And uh, and I can't remember what exactly what my answer was, but I kind of said, oh, you know, that, like, you know, the stock options aren't worth as much anymore, and this is back in, like, <laughs> mid-'90s, you know. I'm like, I think I missed the boat on that, and just made up a bunch of excuses and his face was like that that emoji with the flat line mouth <laughs> just blank stare like are you kidding me kid like you know but it's it's hard to tell a you know 20 something year old what to do right i mean i'm going to be in that situation one day with my kid giving that same karma is going to be a bitch yeah it is it is but, but yeah so you know i eventually moved back and uh <clears throat> Um, 
yeah, and then just started, you know, a new career here. But, you know, I, I always, we try to go back as often as we can, mm -hmm. you know, at least every other year, you know, if not every year to see family and check out old places, get yeah. some good food, or, you know, yeah, you know, take, and take my, you know, wife and kids to all the places like, oh, I used to go this to get, go here to get plate lunch and they have the yeah. best, um, you know, the best whatever. Yeah. And uh, I remember, because we used to go to this Korean restaurant all the time. Um, there's called Korean barbecue restaurants, right? And so we'd go there every day after practice or, or whatever. Um, we'd see the same lady. Her name is Gina, and her name is uh, Gina's Barbecue in Market City. And uh, we used to go all the time and just, you know, we were punks at the time, mid-20s, whatever. And uh, we went back there a few years ago, and I brought the family. Yeah. And... <laughs> Uh, my wife's Korean, and so I could hear my wife and Gina talking to each other, and I, I didn't understand what they're saying, but I could tell they were like looking at me and kind of snickering and stuff. And and uh, I go after we left, I was like, "What? What'd she say?" She goes, "Well, no, she's just she's happy for you that you're all grown up, you know, and have a family." But she said, "But she was surprised because you you guys were all little punks, you know, when you guys came in every day." Like, oh, well, I guess that's a compliment, <laughs> yeah. you know, so thank you. <laughs> it was probably a peek into 20-something Rich's life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do have something to add about Hawaii. Yeah. So my uncle was really involved with nonprofits, mm. uh, and he was always fundraising. He raised most of the funds for Laser Dan Academy when they, they it's a private school, and they wanted to build a new campus out, and so... He just, you know, worked his tail off raising money and working with all these other um, uh, foundations to try to get grants and, you know, and gifts. And he kind of turned me on to this whole sense of giving, uh, which kind of, you know, probably helped shape and mold. At the time, I didn't know it, but shape and mold into Aikakua as it is today. Yeah. And... Uh, so I would help out with all of his golf tournaments and uh, just auctions, just setting up, doing some things behind the scenes, you know, just making sure that if someone wins something at the auction, get the receipt and make sure that they get their, you know, bowl of macadamia nuts or whatever mm -hmm. they, they bought for $1,000. Yeah. And, uh, and it was just, I had a lot of fun doing it. And so I remember that being, uh, you know, it sticks out in my memory of something that helped shape who I am today, you know. That was while you were living in Hawaii. While I was living in Hawaii, yeah. Hmm. So. And that maybe that helped transition you out of the the punk rich into the yes polished the rich polished that we see rich here that I am today. Uh, today. Yes, exactly. How long were you doing that work with your uncle? Um, since or we moved out? there, I mean, oh, it wasn't okay. a full time gig, but yeah. it was like, hey, what are you doing this weekend? Can you help me do this? Yeah, you know. Um, yeah, and so, so we would, we'd gather a bunch of my friends and we'd drive out to wherever the location was and help, you know, move chairs or stack tables or, you know, carry whatever it was from A to B. Yeah. Um, what did, just, what did you like about it? Like, why does it stick out? Um, just the end result. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, when you're, when you're doing something, how do I explain this? Like something on the farm, right? If you plant a field of lettuce 
you can see that there's rows and there's lettuce and then a few weeks you can see the lettuce growing like it's really easy to like do project management when you can see the fruits of the actual fruits of your labor I guess mm -hmm. but see them in action right versus a project that you have to do all the behind the scenes stuff and lay all this stuff out and have a hundred meetings for this and that and you don't see anything getting done um, but with farming or um, you know, nonprofit, you know, or at least with the auctions and golf tournaments and stuff, you can see the fruits of your labors instantly, mm -hmm. you know, so. So, so, the, so let me read that back to you. Yeah. So the reason why it sticks out is because it was tangible. Yes, tangible. You had actually, yeah. there was a number that identified how much was being raised yeah. for the private school. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it was like yeah, the actual. Yeah, there's a goal. Like yeah. You can see the goal being hit you know, as people are buying things or yeah. raising the paddle or, you know, um, but it was just, you know, and, and then you could see that having this fun event that raises a lot of money, how it translates into a school. Right. And so, you, you know, how the whole process of, you know, end to end, you know, you know, meeting the right people, networking, having them come to your event, buying a ticket, and then, you know, donating a hundred thousand dollars right you know and at the time i didn't know much about giving and so you know it's just it was bizarre to me that someone would give that much money mm -hmm. but then it dawned on me like wow that's pretty powerful yeah to to be in a uh you know a forum like that and to give a hundred thousand dollars for the school you know and have something named after you it wasn't just like you know i'm advertising i want rich sasaki on a building yeah. but what it really means to have your name on a building is that you did a lot of work before you were, you know, you worked your butt off so you could raise that money to be able to give something like that, you know, right. to get your name there. You're not just buying your name, you're, you know, you're doing something to earn your name on there. Does this school exist today? The school still exists today, yeah. yeah. It's a yeah. high school? Uh, I think it's K, a... K, K through 12? I think it's K through 12 now, oh, yeah. 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 Uh, that's interesting. So that sticks out. What else sticks out about your time in Hawaii? Uh, being broke. <laughs> driving, about that moped. driving around a $300 moped. That, yeah. You know, you were looking good though. I was looking pretty good. It was a Suzuki FZ 50. Suzuki's Suzuki. Suzuki. Yes. And, uh, you know, those old mopeds that you had to like pedal, yeah. not like the new line bikes, yeah. but those big clunky ones. This was like a step up above that. Oh. Yeah. So it was a baller moped. A baller moped. Or is that on the other end? What is that? Baller meaning like Like was I a baller? Yeah. Riding it? Yeah. Yeah. I was riding dirty. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to offend you. No, I was friend. like a baller. Is that a brand? Is that like a Dyson? Ball? No, I mean like a baller, like a baller oh, a yeah. baller moped. On the spectrum of mopeds? Mm-hmm. Is that this one was high? This one Earth? had character. Gotcha. gotcha. So that says it all. It'd be That's... the AMC Pacer of mopeds. Okay. Gotcha. Which was cool after Wayne's World came out. It's a step up from the Pinto. It, it, yes. 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 Okay. Definitely. Okay. Yeah. So being broke because you blew half of your savings <laughs> on a moped yeah. is out about Hawaii. So the, the, the identity. Yeah. Well, being broke. I mean, you really have to find yourself. 
yeah. right? Like, and make some hard decisions. Like, do I continue this path or do I, you know, study harder or get a job or make better decisions, yeah. things like that, you know? And I think I remember, I remember I bounced a check on my birthday <laughs> and I had it up for a long time and I think I finally threw it away, but like to remind myself, like, this is a pretty low point right here because I just wanted to buy like, you know, buy a beer or something on my birthday. I went to the Texaco and uh, rode my moped down to Texaco and I, I bought some beer and probably some chips or something, you know, and I, I was like, oh, I wrote a check for like eight bucks. And, uh, but I thought I was a winner because I was able to get out of the Texaco with the goods, right? <laughs> I didn't know it was going to bounce, but, you know, it's probably a good 50% chance. But, but I remember, yeah, just when I got the bank, the bank used to send you all the checks that you cash and stuff. Right. Um, and uh, I remember just April 21st, well, you know, it had my birthday and then uh, NSF. That was the one that did it. It's <laughs> like, hmm, I make some changes. So, yeah. No. You still have that check? No, I think no. I, I had it for a long time, and I think I finally threw it away. You came to terms like, with it. Yeah. I, like, it's, it's time. You've done your, your duty. Let's put it behind me. Yeah. Move forward. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. like that. Yeah. I like that. Uh, anything else that sticks out about Hawaii? Um, <laughs> can't really think of, I mean, I'm sure I'll walk out of here and go, mm. oh, man, I should have, you know. Yeah. And then I'll, yeah. Did you surf? I didn't. Yeah, I'm not that strong a swimmer. Mm. Yeah. Farm boy. Farm boy, yeah. 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 Water's for irrigation. <laughs> <laughs> so. What have you learned in launching Aikakua mm -hmm. that somebody who's got an idea out there mm -hmm. today mm -hmm. and they're about ready to take that step into launching this idea? Mm hmm. What have you learned in the last however many years, two, two, three years, and from launching Akakoa that others could benefit from? Yeah. I think launching, launching a startup, you have to know why you're launching it and what kind of motivates you. Mm. I mean, I, I like, and so I really enjoy um, brainstorming and just coming up with ideas. And then, you know, if one sticks, then, um, you know, I have the I have the technology and the resources to, to build a prototype if it's a technology based or a website or something, and so you know, um, I usually would just build something out like that or or pitch it to somebody. Um, but where I where I was having trouble, or where it got challenging for me is taking it to the next level, right? I could build out something, but um, I guess it, it felt like a piece of art, and I'm not an artist by any means, but imagine, imagine putting your, your art, your drawing, your something that you drew, and it's a piece of you, right? And then you put it out for the masses to, to judge. Right. You know, it's, it's kind of hard, it's hard to do, right? Um, I don't know where I'm going with that, but I, I remember that being a, a challenge or like something that, you know, you know, something you think the world needs but you have people telling you that you know it's not really 
I don't know where I'm going with that. Well, I know where you're, I mean, yeah, you might have to edit that whole. No, I no, I know where you're going. I mean, you're it's it, well, like you you identify a gap, mm-hmm. and you can see that gap with um, twenty twenty yeah. twenty twenty clarity, full yeah. clarity, in perfect high definition, mm-hmm. and the world is seeing it at a fraction of that gap in black and white on a, you know, on a 30-year-old TV. Yeah, yeah. And so it's like, how do you get, how do you bring them to your view? How do I give them HD quality? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's always a challenge with every idea, you yeah. know. Um, but, you know, one of the things I want to do is, you know, bring that idea of giving um, to, to just people every day, right? People that, that do, people that do everyday things, which results into a charitable donation. Right. I mean, I didn't see that. I didn't see how you could go wrong with that. Right. Mm-hmm. Bringing, uh, the idea of giving to, to everybody, you know, how, what's a different way to say that. So I wanted to, um, I wanted to create a way to give without disrupting your normal pattern of things. Mm-hmm. And so if you're going to buy a bicycle, why not look at Icacua first to see if that bike's there? Because you're going to get it for the same price as you would on Craigslist, but that money is going to go to a nonprofit. Yeah. So as a buyer, you wouldn't have the choice to say whatever nonprofit, but you can go to Ikaku and search for Woodland Park Zoo and see who's selling things where the money's going to go to Woodland Park Zoo right. and buy your stroller, your bicycle, your, you know, whatever you're going to buy. Right. So as a buyer, you know, shop there first to yeah. see if you can generate money to a nonprofit. And if you can't find it, go to the normal channels, you know. Right. Um, yeah, because there, I think there's more, there's, a, there's incremental value. You get a bike. Yeah. But you also know that that bike is the the proceeds mm-hmm. are going to a good cause. Good cause, yeah. 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 Um So what would uh what would if you uh, 29 20, so it's 2019. What would mm-hmm. 2009 rich Think about 2019, Rich. Is the biggest variable in the equation children? It's a pretty big variable. Yeah. And not just the logistics of having kids. Like, you know, I was a little late today because our nanny was sick and I had to drop our son off at school. Uh, but just your, your um, risk-taking mm-hmm. is curbed a little bit, mm-hmm. right? So... In some in some aspects, you know, the <clears throat> the younger rich without kids and kind of like, hey, I'll try anything because I can move to Hawaii with six hundred dollars and <laughs> wind up with three, but with <laughs> awesome transportation, you know, that's a that's a different a different person than you know with two kids and a wife and a mortgage and the risk taking is uh, a little bit different. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if the younger one or the older one if if they'd be proud or, uh, or disappointed. <laughs> yeah. I'm not really sure. I have to think about that one. Okay. 
Yeah. Book me again and I'll, I'll have book a, a better answer yeah. for that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. You'll have the family history locked down yep. and you'll have an yep. answer to I that. I got question. homework, it sounds like. You get some homework for uh, episode yeah. part two. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Ikigai, the translation is your purpose, mm-hmm. right? It's, can you connect some dots between Ikakua and your purpose? Yeah, just the whole sense of giving. Um, I think it, I think it actually ties to both because mm-hmm. I I love the the building of it and taking all the pieces that I had, you know, all the experiences I had and lumping it into <clears throat> to an app or you know or a website that does that but also serves the greater good you know because instead of using craigslist if you just you know if you list it on ikakua all that money that's generated through all those websites and classified ads would go to a nonprofit. Right. you know not all the same nonprofit, of course but right. you know but it would it would start getting dispersed throughout the community just by cleaning out your garage yeah and so you know i i can't really say which one is over the other, mm-hmm. right? The the experiences or the, you know, having a greater sense of purpose. Yeah. I can tell you that when I was building it, when I had all my friends over, we're in our basement. I mean, it was kind of like what you'd see on a, you know, TV about a startup or something. We're mm-hmm. ordering pizza and just, you know, the whiteboards and laptops were everywhere. Um, that was a really fun part of our lives, mm-hmm. you know, just the camaraderie and the the building, the testing, the, you know, um, just, it was just a really fun time building it, you know, yeah. um, but it's kind of, they relate it to, I think it was, is it Eric Reese, the lean startup? Mm-hmm. He refers it to like the photo montage of any movie, mm-hmm. you know, and so you have the idea and then you start working on it. Then the photo montage of all these pictures are rolling and rolling and rolling and then all of a sudden everyone's like high-fiving and toasting because they launched right yeah but he said within that period of the photo montage is the blood sweat and tears right it's when you know nose of the grindstone and you're just you know uh, busting your butt trying to get it done and doing all your other responsibilities on top of that and you know with life happening right um but but that was the photo montage for me was just an intense, awesome part of my life, um, and so, yeah. So, and you. So, what phase do you think you're in right now? Uh, we're kind of in the marketing, get people signed up. Still, mm-hmm. we want to start looking at PTA groups because mm-hmm. we're thinking of. So, when you sign up a, a smaller nonprofit with not a lot of constituents or a large following, that's your that's usually your circle of influence, right? right? And so, you know, when we're starting to look at PTA groups, you have an entire elementary school, right, of parents who are motivated to sell things or, you know, raise right. money for the school. Right. Um, you know, and then we'll, we'll probably start, you know, trying to figure out how we can do, like, class competitions. So, like, the mm. fourth grade parents you know, raise this much money for the school using yeah. Akukua. Yeah. Um, or you even use their... Um, a lot of PTAs have like a school garage sale. Yeah. So instead of the garage sale, you could list things on a Kakua and you can actually have it at the garage sale to pick up and buy, but you'd buy it through the app and then the money would still go to the nonprofit. But yeah. Would, yeah. Yeah, that's smart. So we're starting to look at communities. So looking at Ikakua nonprofits as communities yeah. uh, versus individuals. 
and then hopefully build up the trust where the individual or the smaller nonprofits would say, hey, you know, I think we could benefit as well. Yeah. You know, or at least get, and it's a way for the nonprofit to advertise. As yeah. Well, so. Well, and it probably, I mean, those nonprofits are always, they're pressed for time. Mm-hmm. They're always trying to raise resources. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Organizing a garage sale for a PTA sounds like a lot of hard work. Mm-hmm. So this would remove a lot of the barriers. Yeah. Yeah. 